I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024. And grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. I could have mm-hmm. one little quarter of an asparagus, and the next time I hear it, I'm like, wow, that hit me hard. <laughs> it's so funny. So um, it's really actually because of a unique acid that's only in asparagus called asparagusic acid. Um, and it doesn't smell on its own, which is why when you break fresh asparagus or yeah. and, and smell it, it doesn't have that smell. But when you digest it, Rip, your body actually breaks it down into a bunch of sulfur-based compounds. So there's dimethyl sulfide, dimethyl disulfide, dimethyl sulfoxide, dimethyl sulfone. The two things that I hear in that are methane, which I think of cow farts, and sulfur, which we all know doesn't. So those two really stinky things that your body uh, creates from that asparagusic acid, you know, Uh, it makes sense why it smells. And it's actually the sulfur, not the methane. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Snackables, where we chew on all things plant-based. Back, back from a long absence, we have Jess now, Jessica, Jess, her last name when we first started Snackables was Jessica Pastore. Then she met a man who she fell in love with actually eons ago, and they were reunited in the perfect kind of storybook way, and they fell in love again, and they got married. And her last name is now Jessica Hegarty. And then 
they had a little baby that you're going to hear all about. But Jess, the last time that I had you on Snackables was episode 110, which that is 40 episodes ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't even know that. Oh my gosh. I, I, I know. It's, it's, been, it's been 40 weeks. But you are, you are, you're back. The queen of snackables is back and better than ever on fire in her new kitchen. And, uh, and Jess, like, how are you doing? Yeah, Rip, I'm, I'm doing really well and so happy to be back. Um, I had a lot of ideas while I was out on maternity leave. And so hopefully those ideas will come through uh, to create some really informative new snackables episodes for for our audience awesome um so how how is your little precious girl doing she's great so i i'd love to share a little bit so her name is elizabeth spring we call her ellie uh she's doing great i can't believe it she's eight months now um and so she's been getting into solid foods and um I wanted to tell a little bit about the birth story that relates to food because I think as expected, my diet really helped me through that process. So of course, throughout pregnancy, I was eating a plant-strong diet. My one pregnant lady indulgence, and I've continued this today, is I do have a square or two of dark chocolate, uh, 85% dark chocolate. And every once in a while when we're out, I would get like a coconut chia pudding or something with coconut in it. Um, But in those last weeks of pregnancy, I got rid of the chocolate. I got rid of the coconut desserts. I was all about blood flow. I wanted to make sure my veins were equipped for what was coming. You were pure. I was, I was. And every single night I would eat a huge kale salad, raw kale salad um, with balsamic vinegar, a huge bowl, like huge every single night without fail. And can you remind our audience, why did you put balsamic vinegar on top of your kale? Yeah, sure. So it boosts, um, uh, the acetic acid actually boosts nitric oxide production. Isn't that right? So all those leafy greens. Um, and we found a, you know, we, we love our fancy balsamic vinegar and it was delicious. I still eat it, not every night, but it, mm. it comes through. Um, but Rip, I wanted to share a little story with you. So I don't know if you know this, but um, I had prodromal labor, which is labor that lasts for days and it would get, you know, pretty regular at night and then slow down during the day. And so for the last week before I went out on maternity leave, um, I was, you know, having some restless nights where I was trying to get pockets of sleep. Uh, And, you know, as you know, I went out on maternity leave on a Friday. That Thursday morning, after having contractions throughout the night, they picked up to about one contraction every 10 minutes lasting for 45 seconds. I thought that was going to be the day. Baby was going to be born on Thursday or Friday. And I was sitting on my birthing (laughs) ball, typing some emails to our design team, eating my avocado toast. And this contraction came through and I was like, oh no, should I spit it out? Is this a choking hazard? Am I okay? And I was in the middle of an email to Chesco and it was like, hey, Chesco. (laughs) Um. So yeah, that was uh, the day before I went out on maternity leave. And 
I should have known, you know, while I was laboring, I wanted to make sure to have food because I felt like that was going to be really uh, helpful for me. And if you have to have a C-section or something like that, they don't want you to eat, right? So um, not that that was part of our plan, but I wanted to stay, you know, keep that sustenance coming. I should have known that labor was getting really serious when I was eating a pear with dates and walnuts and cinnamon. And all of a sudden I said to Evan, this is gross. I can't eat this. This pear is disgusting. And like, was like, get it away from me. And it was like two hours later, we went um, to the birth center. Um, and while we were on the way to the birth center, you know, I hear, I've listened to all these birth stories. I didn't want to be disappointed. You know, they, you, you go to the birth center, they're going to come in, they're going to check you and see how dilated you are. And after all this, these days of labor, I was like, Oh, I hope, I hope I'm more than five centimeters. Oh, Jess, don't set those expectations for yourself. It's not a good indication of how far along you are. We got to the birth center rib. I was eight centimeters dilated, fully effaced. Uh, The baby was station zero. So coming down into the pelvis. Um, And she was born, you know, shortly after. So all this to say, I think those dates that I was eating that last month of pregnancy were really helpful. The research is supportive of it. And my experience has been supportive of that. So future, I remember the midwife actually saying, your cervix is really soft. (laughs) And so dates, pregnant ladies out there, get yourself some dates. Dates, dates, kale and balsamic vinegar. Yep. Dates, kale and balsamic vinegar. They they really help. And did you ever get that email off to Chesco? I did. Yeah, I did. I finished that work day on Thursday. Things slowed down. Uh, she wasn't born until Sunday morning. So it, it, you know, it continued. Um, but yeah, it was great. It was yeah, great. Great yeah. experience. Well, um, so in honor of you being back on Snackables, um, I think it's appropriate that you decide what topic we want to talk about today. Yeah. So one thing that's piqued my interest, and we're kind of kind of coming to the tail end of the season now, we've been eating a lot of asparagus in our household. So steamed asparagus, it's really soft. It's perfectly grippable for little babies. Um, it's one of Ellie's favorites. She loves broccoli, she loves sweet potato, and she loves asparagus. But it's the perfect soft uh, food for, for babies to, to start sampling. And, um, you know, I I noticed this in myself and then I noticed it in her when I was changing her diaper. Oh, she, she has asparagus pee. I smell that. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to know, you know, what is it that actually um, creates that, that smell? I wanted to know the science behind it. So thank you for humoring me on today's episode, which is all about asparagus. So we have some information like why you should stop stop snapping your asparagus, Uh, some pro tips for selecting, preparing, enjoying the juiciest, most flavorful asparagus. Um, And most of all, what's up with asparagus pee? Yeah, that is a really good question. I know I have it like Mm -hmm. to to the moon and back. I could have Mm -hmm. one little quarter of an asparagus and the next time I urinate, I'm like, wow, that hit me hard. (laughs) It's so funny. So, um... (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's really actually because of a unique acid that's only an asparagus called asparagusic acid. Um, and it doesn't smell on its own, which is why when you break fresh asparagus or, and, and smell it, it doesn't have that smell. 
But when you digest it, Rip, your body actually breaks it down into a bunch of sulfur-based compounds. So there's dimethyl sulfide, dimethyl disulfide, dimethyl sulfoxide, dimethyl sulfone. And it's been a while since my last chemistry class, but <laughs> I recognize- you. Look at you go. <laughs> I've got some notes. Yeah. Um, the two things that I hear in that are methane, which I think of cow farts, yeah. and sulfur, which we all know doesn't. So those two really stinky things that your body uh, creates from that asparagusic acid, you know, uh, it makes sense why it smells. And it's actually the sulfur, not the methane, um, that uh, that makes it smell. So uh, I actually, in doing my research for this episode, wanted to fact check myself and Googled what makes farts stinky? Just wanted to make sure it was actually the sulfur. Uh, so that's in my search history now. Um, so Rip, when you're ready for a Snackables podcast episode on flatulence, you let yes. me know. It's pretty fascinating. I, 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 I think we should do that. Let's make that the next Snackables episode. There's some interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Well, what's, what's it, what also to me I find interesting is that, so thank goodness when you eat asparagus, and for those of us that um, have the gene that uh, allow it to have that unique asparagus smell, that it doesn't smell like rotten eggs or it doesn't smell like, you know, um, farts or something like that. It smells like asparagus. Well, I should say it's, it smells like an aspar- asparagus smell that we're used to, which really is not, it's not, I don't find it to be unappealing or like, you know, like, like odiferous. Yeah. Well, speak for yourself. And maybe it's just me, but (laughs) I make some stinky asparagus pee. Um, But, you know, sulfur is that characteristic rotten egg smell. And I was surprised to learn that it's actually the primary uh, uh, compound in skunk spray. And it's also, you know, they add sulfur to natural gas to make it odorous natural gas so you can detect it. Um, But here's the interesting thing. So not only is sulfur... Um, stinky. It's also volatile. So when and what volatile means is that um, it has a really low boiling point. So uh, the your the compounds in your urine actually vaporize at room temperature. So when you go to the bathroom, it turns into a vapor and goes from the toilet seat up into your nose. Uh, so it's not just stinky. It's also you know quickly becomes a vapor. And you touched on this rip. I don't know how fast it happens for you, but I was surprised to learn that asparagus aroma can be detected in as little as 15 minutes for some people. Oh, isn't that crazy? I would, I would, I bet you with me, it's less than that, but yeah, 15 minutes for sure. Wow. That is something. So, you know, I, I, when you told me last week that you wanted to do an episode on asparagus, of course, I had to do a little research as well. For, for, for people that want to know a little bit of the, the history of asparagus, I want you to know that, you know, it, it, it gets its name from the Greek word asparagos, and it actually stands for sprout or shoot. Um, it is for like hundreds and hundreds of years been referred to as the aristocrat of vegetables and, and was dubbed the food of kings by King Louis XIV of France. And, and it's funny because to me, when I think of having asparagus when I was growing up, it always was like kind of fancy occasions when the, the table was set nicely. We always had it with a hollandaise sauce, you know, with the, the mayo and all that stuff. And for people that are listening, 
yes, we used to indulge in all that nonsense uh, back in the late 60s, 70s, and early 80s before my father, you know, really started his research in 1984. Um, but it's also, it's a member, asparagus, it's a member of the, of the lily family, um, and it's very closely related to garlic, onions, and leeks, which is very interesting because those also, um, in their own right, <laughs> are very, you know, smelly. They're very aromatic. It's, it, is, it is low in fiber. It, I'm sorry, high in fiber, high in fiber, high in fiber mm-hmm. low in fat. It's a fantastic source of iron, vitamin C, B vitamins, and most notably for somebody like you when you were pregnant, folate, which folate. is... Folate. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, you know, I'll, I'll stop there, but that's just a couple things that I learned in my research. You know, thank you for those fun facts. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's a botanical cousin to garlic and onion. It's also sulfur that makes uh, those stinky as well. I was surprised, Rip, to learn how fast asparagus grows. So I read that in, um, it's almost like you could watch it sprout up if you're if you're growing it in your yard or something like that. Like they bamboo, say, like bamboo like almost. Bamboo. Yeah. 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 They say uh, it can grow up to seven to 10 inches in 24 hours under the right conditions, which I thought was fascinating. That's so fast. Um, and another interesting thing, um, back to the asparagus pea conversation, was uh, throughout history, you see commentary from renowned scholars, physicists, mathematicians, writing about asparagus pea and documenting it. So Spra- uh, uh, Proust, the French novelist, wrote, it transforms my chamber pot into a flask of perfume. <laughs> How beautiful. <laughs> um, and Rip, you, you mentioned, you know, this, this affects you and you mentioned that it's actually genetic, the reason that uh, asparagus uh, is digested in a way that produces that odor. So are you familiar with the site 23andMe? Have you heard of that DNA analyzer site? I have. I've never done it, but I've definitely heard of it. Yes. I haven't done it either. I, I really should. Um, they actually asked that question as part of a survey and helped identify that common genetic marker that's linked to the likelihood of, of smelly asparagus pea. Um, and what scientists have found, there's been a, a lot of research done, bless the scientists uh, and their volunteers who are signing up to smell urine and classify if it uh, smells like asparagus. They're actually producers and detectors. So those, there are those who make the smell and those who don't, and those who can detect the smell and those who can't. So Rip, you're a detector and producer, I'm assuming. Wow. So how is it that you could be a producer and not be able to detect the smell of it? Be, is it just something that in your, um, <laughs> what's the term for? Uh, Olfactory oh, yeah. weakness? Yeah. yeah. I really? think so. It, it could be. Um, there's a term like asparagus, ins- as it's not insomnia, amnesia, something uh. like that, where you just can't notice the smell. And so if somebody says asparagus smell, what are you talking about? They might still have stinky pee. They just don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, because this is a Snackables episode, I want to make sure we provide not only fun facts, but also uh, helpful tips to encourage more asparagus consumption. Yeah. So tell me in your research, how many different types of asparagus did you find? Well, what I found is roughly three varieties mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. asparagus. 
Uh, Carrie, if you could show the three, that might be helpful. There you go. Yeah, so you can see on the far right there, we have our green. On the far left, we have our purple. In the middle, we have our white. That's going to go away now. But so the green is actually, that is the most kind of popular commercially. There's actually two varieties of the green. You have the, the Martha and the Mary Washington. Are you a fan of either Mary or Martha? I'm such a Martha fan. I, I am a Martha fan as well. Yes. <laughs> and, and of course, I'm just kind of BSing right now because I really don't know the difference between Mary or Martha. But yes, thanks for going along with me there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the purple, it's called the viola. And it actually, interestingly, and if you want to talk about like, like how it varies as far as like sugar content and stuff like that, please do. <laughs> okay, yeah. So purple asparagus is actually my favorite and in doing my research, I see why it actually has, it's sweeter. It has a higher sugar content, about 20%. Yeah. Um, and it also has that nuttier flavor, but it turns green when you cook it. So it loses that purple aspar- asparagus uniqueness, um, which was kind of a bummer. I've actually never tried white asparagus. Mm. Have you had that? Well, so going back to the purple... So in my research, that purple actually ha- is the highest in antioxidants. And I think, you know, the purple color probably reflects that. Um, the white, so what's interesting about the white is that, so do you know how they get it to be white? Uh, it, they specifically do something. Right. So they plant it, they plant it under heaps of soil, but ba- that in order to basically blanket out the sun's rays from getting to it, which prevents the, um, the production of chlorophyll. That's exactly right. So as the asparagus is growing up, they're piling on mounds of dirt or they're covering it with a black tarp, never letting it see the light of day as much as it might try. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, without the sun, photosynthesis can occur. There's no chlorophyll produced. And chlorophyll, of course, is what give, gives plants that green color. Uh, so this may be wonder rip, if we could make white broccoli, no Google, I'm not asking about cauliflower. I was like, is there such a thing as white broccoli um, where you just kind of protect it from the sun? No, that's that's not a thing. Um, it also made me wonder if we could go grow green potatoes if we had a way of doing like clear soil um, or something like that. Interesting. And Evan, my husband, actually was asking me, he was like, I wonder if you could do the same thing with a purple asparagus. And if you'd get like a light pink asparagus that had a really great flavor, um, because the, the green asparagus and the white asparagus are actually the same variety, just grown in different ways. Mm. Um, and, and the white asparagus does have that more uh, tender, sweeter flavor. I've heard it compared to corn or peas or turnips, um, which sounds delightful. I'd love, I'd love to try it. Yeah, I've also... Um read that it's a little bit more fibrous, potentially can be more bitter. Um, and usually I've had white asparagus before, but I think it's only been from a can. Yeah. So, so yeah. it's been like really like kind of soft, Ooh. something about, something about the canning process. You're, you're not a yeah. fan. You're no, not thanks. a fan. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've had some canned asparagus, but Rip, I think we should, if we can find some white asparagus, I'll bring some by. We'll do a taste test. I want to uh, okay. finish this once Let's and for all. So Jess, I am... So I've heard that asparagus, asparagus, asparagus <laughs> can be can be um, very finicky as far as like 
after I buy it, like Jill and I, we always buy asparagus. And I find that if we don't eat it within three or four days, that's, that sucker goes bad. So like, do you have any tips for us when we're buying asparagus to like keep it fresh? Sure. I sure do rip. So I'm, I'm the same as you, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an ambitious chef. I go into whole foods. I see these beautiful displays. I want to pick up everything and take it home with me and eat a bunch of vegetables. Um, but asparagus is very sensitive. So you'll notice that when you buy it, particularly in higher end stores, it's displayed in a shallow bed of water. Um, that's the idea. That's what you want to recreate at home. So it's best to cook asparagus, asparagus the day that you buy it. And you're right. Four days is really the max shelf life that, that you want um, for your asparagus. So the secret is to combat the dryness. So you really want to treat it like you would um, fresh flowers. So you want to keep the rubber band on to limit air exposure. You can trim the bottoms if you want to. It's not necessary, but you would for, for flowers probably. Um, you want to stand the, aspar- the spears up in a jar with about an inch of water and then loosely cover with a, a plastic bag to prevent it from drying out. Um, so, you know, if you want to store it for longer, you can freeze it. You know, I, I blanch it before putting it into the freezer. Um, but yeah, those are those are my tips for storing sensitive asparagus. Now, let me ask you, Rip, when you're in the grocery store and you're selecting asparagus, what are the things you're looking for? Of course, bright green color. Um, but you know, how how do you choose? I have I have no method. There's no method to my madness. I just look at what I think think looks good. I have no base knowledge on on what to look for. So I am a neophyte when it comes to picking a a good asparagus, unlike, unlike other like fruits and veggies where I'm like, I know exactly what I want. Yeah. Well, I, I was the same and I was actually surprised to learn that when it comes to asparagus, you actually, thicker is actually better. So these got these thick and thin stalks here. Um, the thinner stalks have more of this fibrous outside and what you really want with asparagus, what we all enjoy is that tender inside. So you can see the difference here. Um, it really makes sense if you want that tender, lovely asparagus flavor to actually choose a thicker uh, version. And I was surprised to learn that the thickness of the spear has nothing to do with an age, with the age of it. You can't keep growing a thin spear and hope that it becomes thick. Hmm. Um, do, do you know? Do you know what causes an asparagus to get thick or thin? I don't know. That's yeah. Maybe huh. one day I'll get into asparagus growing, knowing that it'll produce for twenty years. Well, makes me want to get into it. Well, it sounds like a really smart crop to get into <clears throat> if you can grow it six to seven, eight inches in a matter of twenty-four to forty-eight hours. Right, fresh asparagus. For, I'm a little bit skeptical days. of that. You know, it's funny you showed you showed the you know the the thick one and then the you know, the one that's not quite as thick. <laughs> you know, I love, and my family loves. We love getting the it's called pencil grass asparagus Hmm. it's actually really super thin and then i just throw it on the grill for a matter of like two or three minutes and then take it off and um it's just i find it to be divine Um, yeah yeah so rip if you're gonna grill some asparagus pencil thin variety or not um what's your process so you've been storing it nicely in the fridge or maybe you came home with it uh, from from the store and are preparing it that day. What's what's your process? 
Well, I don't get it too close to the heat, but I put all the spears, we have a grill where I can put all the spears on there if they're the right direction. And then I take a, a wood spatula and I just kind of roll them one way, let them cook for maybe a minute, roll them the other way, let them cook for a minute, roll them again, roll them again, and then take them off. But I, I wait for them to go from kind of a light green to a really nice, robust, dark green, sometimes just a little bit of, of, uh, of, of char marks on them. And, uh, and that's it. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Oh, asparagus with the char marks. Well, I learned about some pro tips that may take your asparagus game to the next level. Um, so snapping asparagus, I'm so tempted to do it. I want to do it. Oh, Ooh. there it goes. It's so satisfying, but what actually happens is you uh, waste a little bit of that great inside that was otherwise fine. So snapping your asparagus, if you're somebody who wants to get get the most out of your food or reduce food waste, maybe you're growing it in your backyard and you want to savor every bite, the best way is actually to trim the bottom edge about an inch with a knife and then take your potato peeler and shave away that fibrous outside. Um, it's called the cuticle and, and that's what you're trying to get rid of. And what this also buys you is uniform asparagus. So it's it's better for presentation if you're having that fancy aristocrat, you know, you're, <laughs> that's what you're going for. Um, Jess, 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 to... Jess, yeah. I, gotta, I gotta stop you. Okay. Listen, listen, I have been a bend and snap guy for as long as I know. And you're trying to tell me now, like, I, and I love it because it breaks right where it should, where it starts to get really woody. And you're telling me that I'm, um, it's, being, it's wasteful and I should cut it and then I should take my potato peeler or carrot peeler and then shave off the bottom of each one. Do you realize how much time that's going to add? I've got three young kids. This is, this is not in my playbook. If I was single and had time, probably. But what about you? Are you, are you going to take the time to do that? Um, no, I have not <laughs> taken the time to do that. But if I was growing it in my backyard, I would absolutely want to be very careful. And the thing with snapping is you really can get a snap depending on wherever you apply pressure. Um, so I guess as long as you're really focusing down at the very bottom end, snapping can still work for you. But if you're really trying to preserve as much as much of the asparagus as you can, that idea is, is out there. I wanted to also... Um, give you a tip for roasting that I found fascinating. Rip, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go to season your asparagus, um, the salt or spices, you know, they're going to fall off of that waxy out outer cuticle, right? Especially if you're not using any oil or butter or things like that, which of course we're not. So one tip I have for you before you grill is to poke it with a fork and soak it in a brine of salt water or uh, lemon juice. And that asparagus is gonna soak up all those flavors and then you're gonna get that uniform flavor on the inside. So that's ah. my tip for you. If you don't wanna uh, slice and shave, you can snap and um, poke <laughs> it with a fork and soak it in a brine. Yeah, yeah. The, um, another interesting thing that I have discovered about asparagus and I read about it as well, is that when you cook it, you typically, it, 
you lose between snapping off the end and then cooking it, you usually reduce the weight of it by 50%. Right, right. And this method of the slicing and shaving, you're only reducing the weight by about 30%. So that's 20% of delicious edible asparagus um, hey. that goes into your belly. <laughs> I That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, so Rip, let me ask you, have you ever actually made raw asparagus salads? Have you used that? Does that go in any of your salads? Uh, I... No. <laughs> no. Yeah, it, it didn't for me either. Um, and here in a minute, I'll get into a little demo um, of how to create some great uh, shaved asparagus for your salad. Um, one thing before we get into today's demo that uh, I learned again in my research was the proper way to eat asparagus. If you're dining with the Queen of England, Rip, if it's served as an accompaniment, that, that is, it has other things on the plate. Of course, you use your knife and fork, as you probably would at a fancy dinner. But if it's served alone as an appetizer or a starter... Your fingers? It's work? a finger food. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Pick it up with your finger, dip it in the sauce, go for it. I, lo I love it. I love it. Isn't that so funny? Yeah. Um, so, speaking of delicious dips to... Mm. Mm. Um, uh, for our asparagus. I have a really great recipe that I'm so excited to share with you. It is whole food, plant-based, holy cow hollandaise. Um, and this is something that has been adapted from some recipes that I found on online and created um, just for Plant Strong. And I'd love to do a quick uh, I would. I would love that. Do you know the history of why is it that like hollandaise sauce pair has, has for it seems like time immemorial been paired with with asparagus yeah i don't know where that came from maybe asparagus wasn't considered to be as delicious so they needed to cover it with egg yolks and butter and you yeah. know who knows what um but a bunch of people who didn't like vegetables maybe yeah but this, to make it taste better. this sounds absolutely delicious so do you want to take us into the kitchen yeah let's <laughs> do it all right so First thing, if you're like me and you want to make nut butter, um, you really want to use your food processor. Uh, and I, I was surprised, you know, I have a Vitamix and I've tried making nut butters in my Vitamix and it just doesn't work as well. So the secret when you're blending uh, your own nut butters is to give it time. So I'm gonna pulse two cups of cashews for about 10 minutes. I know that sounds crazy. And of course, uh, Carrie's going to help us out with a little bit of a time lapse. But you're going to look for the nuts to create a pulse, the nuts to form into a ball, and then it will liquefy into a nut butter. All right, 10 minutes on the clock, and we are going to blend. All right, so we can see here that the cashews are starting to stick to the sides. I'm just going to pause and uh, break those down a little bit and keep blending. Hey, Jess, um, what are the ingredients in this hollandaise sauce? Yeah, great question, Red. Hopefully you're not hearing too much of the, the um, processor behind me. So this uses two cups of cashews. We also use some silken tofu, lemon juice, mustard. We use salt and black salt, which gives it that kind of eggy 
taste and texture. Um, cayenne pepper, white pepper, and turmeric. Really, the turmeric is just for color um, and health purposes. Mm, wow. Um, what color does it end up being? It's very close to a hollandaise, and you could put a lot of turmeric in it and really get uh, very close to that bright egg yolk color. Mm. I am not the biggest fan of the flavor of turmeric. It's really uh, something I want to accent food, not be the primary flavor. Uh, so I kept it low in this recipe, and it's a little bit more of a pale yellow hollandaise, um, but to each of them. Yeah. And so this will yield, ooh, it's going into a ball. It's so, going into a ball. You can see it, right? Yeah, We're getting yeah, close. Yeah. So this will yield how much and how many asparagi do I need if I want to like eat every last little bit of this hollandaise sauce? 25? <laughs> the first time I made this, I did not make enough. Um, so this recipe, and trust me, you're going to love it, um, yields about three cups, which is enough for hollandaise for days. Um, and th this is intentional. We use it not just on our asparagus, but also on um, our other vegetables as well over grains. We've used it on our English muffins, like like to make a faux egg benedict. Um Oh boy, I'm looking at the yeah, asparagus can yeah. and I actually see that ball thinned out into a nut butter. Let's let's go check it out over here. All right, I'm gonna shut it off. And wouldn't you know it, about seven minutes in, um, this is really starting to form a great paste. So it's gonna sound scary with the ball rolling around in there for a little bit, and then it's gonna thin out and form this really great um, nut butter. All right. So this recipe is really simple. All you had to do was push play on your um, food processor. And then from there, you add half a uh, block of silken tofu. You add your spices. So again, we've got a clove of garlic. We've got our turmeric, our salt, our black salt, our cayenne pepper, and our white pepper. All going in there together. Oops. Go. I'm also going to add in two tablespoons of lemon juice. Mm. Again, for those who don't have kids and are shaving their asparagus, feel free to use a fresh lemon. There we go. And I'm also going to add in our Dijon mustard. I think two teaspoons is what I have in the recipe. Um, I'm, I like mustard, so I'm just going to kind of wing it you know another thing that i read about is that when you should wash your asparagus because there's a lot of sand that can get caught in the spears did you read about that at all um i didn't hear about that in asparagus but i definitely am aware of it in leeks and things like that but i guess yeah. it makes sense it could totally get caught in these yeah. um yeah areas up yeah. here mm -hmm. that's interesting all right, so last ingredient here, I'm using my plant-based milk. I've got some of that really great, oops, uh, there we go, West soy that's just soybeans and water. Uh, this tastes great with oat milk if you have some of that as well. All right, there it is. We've got everything in there. And I'm just going to blend this one more time, and it will be ready to enjoy. Oh. All right, so we've blended, and that's looking really beautiful, isn't it, Rip? Totally it's beautiful. Will you do me a favor, Jess? Will you get two of those asparagus 
and kind of dip them in there so I can see what it looks like on the ends. Like if I was going to take a bite, oh, that's my finger food right there. Yes. <laughs> Delicious. So, so good. And one thing that I wanted to mention, you know, if, if folks look at this recipe and say two cups of cashews, I don't want to have that much nut butter. Um, you know, again, the idea here was to recreate something that's using butter and egg yolks as the primary ingredient. So I wanted it to be really creamy. Um, you could easily swap some of the cashews out one for one with additional silken tofu. I think it would be great with some creamy cannellini beans as mm. well, or maybe even some peeled roasted kaboka squash. That would give you a really great, uh, yeah. bright egg yolk color. Or chick, uh, even well. chickpeas. Chickpeas. I even thought maybe avocado would work. Um, so again, wanting people to feel empowered and kind of take this recipe as a baseline and make it your own. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, there, there it is. Oh, that is a gorgeous shot right there. Yeah. And we'll be sure to, of course, post this uh, in the show notes uh, for, for this uh, episode as well. I do think we need to change the name for future uh, posts from Holy Cow to Holy Kale Hollandaise. Holy Kale Hollandaise. <laughs> Holy I kale. love that. So, and you should absolutely put it on your kale. So Jess, before we close out this exciting episode on everything that anybody could possibly want to know about asparagus, <laughs> is there anything else that you want to say or add? I don't think so. I'm just so happy to be back doing these. And, um, you know, if, if folks want to have us do an episode on any particular ingredient, if there's something that you want to learn more about, please uh, post in the comments. We are always looking for inspiration and I am happy to do the research and experimentation. That's well, Jess, this has been a lot of fun. Welcome back. And uh, I hope to see you and Evan and adorable Ellie this weekend. Oh, we would love to come crash your pool rib. Yeah, let us know what day works for you. And thank you. We would love love to, to come by. Saturday afternoon it is then. All right, awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey, keep it playing strong. All right. Boom. Wasn't that a hoot? <laughs> Who knew the humble little asparagus was so darn interesting? Don't forget... Grab that full recipe for the hollandaise sauce on the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. You'll also see photos and links to watch the entire episode on YouTube. Be sure to keep it plant strong, and we'll see you next week. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.